Good morning, Central Christian College. Hey, if you're still out in the lobby getting checked in, uh, come on in, have a seat. If you haven't checked in uh, with your RA or with Missy Mays, make sure you do that uh, so that you get a touch point for this morning, all right? Hey, before we, uh, before we jump into some stuff, I'm going to invite Tanner Rose to come up, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, Spring Fling and some of the activities that student government have coming up. How's it going, y'all? Um, so as you guys have heard already, we're doing uh, an amazing race next Sunday at 2 p.m. If you guys need to sign up, it's probably best to do that by Thursday so we can plan accordingly um, and keep you guys having fun. Um, it's going to be a blast, guys. We're going to have a lot of activities for you guys to do. Um, it's going to be super fun. Um, and then lastly, if you guys are interested in a ping pong or pool tournament, I am posting those signups by Tuesday lunch. Um, and those will be taken down Friday. So if you guys want to participate in those, get in. Good morning. There's more of you in here than has ever been in here before since January. Oh, it is good to see you. Uh, <coughs> David Crowder, who we just heard, that is, he is a weird dude. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen him or heard him talk. He's like one of my favorite people, but like, he's a weird dude. And I'm a fan. I remember all back and he was part of the, the rock and roll extravaganza, the David Crowder band. And I think that I saw the David Crowder band in concert at least 30 times. Like, no joke, no lie, I've seen the David Crowder band. Like, I majored in, like, David Crowder. Like, he, I love 
his music. I got to meet him a few years ago. I think, yeah, there it is. Um, such a cool guy. And when you see him live, if you've ever seen David Crowder live, first of all, he surrounds himself with like amazing musicians. And what you come to realize is he's actually, like it's not that he's good, it's that everybody that plays music with him is like amazing. But when you see him live, he's like just as quirky, just as weird. And that's a, man, that's what I really, I love that about him. Now, the song that he talked about, Run Devil Run, we're going to talk a bit more about that. But I wanted to start there with that for a reason as we continue in, in this semester of hope. And I want to offer a few more thoughts as it relates to hope this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, if you don't have a Bible, I have good news for you. You happen to be sitting in a church and there are some right in front of you. So you should, you should use it because we'll be in there. And I don't know if you've been at the last couple chapels, our last chapel, actually last chapel I was supposed to speak, and then we had like a surprise guest show up, and so he spoke. Uh, Pastor Lewis Smith talked about compassion. He talked about loving your neighbor, how we find hope in those things. And then before that, my friend Sasha Kuntz came and spoke, and she did such a good job. And the one thing that Sasha said that, that really stuck with me, the thing that I can't shake, is that she, as we talk about hope, she said that we treat hope like a buzzword. That we treat it like a, she said, a band-aid that we put on our boo-boo was her line. Like, we say hope, but we, we actually don't really want to do the real work. Like, oh, I'm sorry about, like, sorry about racism, but like, have hope, things will get better. Well, hope doesn't do anything if it's empty. If we're not willing to do the real systemic work as it relates to things like racism and we talk about hope, hope is empty. So hope has to be more than just a buzzword. It has to be more than just a band-aid. What a powerful word from my friend Sasha. So this morning I want to look at hope and I want to talk about a kind of hope that's more than just a buzzword. So Matthew chapter 16 starting in verse 13, says this. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So God, this morning as we dig into this, as we continue to be a people who pursue hope, we pray that this morning you would speak to us. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first part of this passage that I just read is this conversation. It had this conversation between Jesus and one of the first Christians, a guy named Peter. And Jesus asks Peter, he says, hey, Pete, what's the word on the street? Who do people say? What are people saying about me? Who do people think I am? 
And Peter says, well, some people think you're this guy, John, who like, he was a bit of a weirdo. He had kind of a strange fashion sense and he ate some strange stuff and he baptized some people. And, and other people think that you're one of our prophets from a long time ago. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, what about you? What do you think of me? Peter, who do you think I am? And if you came to the warehouse last month and you participated in our Ash Wednesday service, you know that this is a question that we wrestled with there. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus is God and that He wants complete control of your life? Do you believe that Jesus can be trusted with your life? That he loves you unconditionally no matter what you've done or where you've come from. That he wants you just as you are. Do you believe that? Who do you think Jesus is? It's the question that Jesus is asking Peter here. And it's the same one that he's still asking us today. What are you going to do with me? What are you going to do? You have to decide what you're going to do with me. I love, there's one of my favorite authors is this guy named C.S. Lewis. And he has this amazing quote about Jesus. And he says, look, Jesus is either one of two things. He's either the Messiah, the Christ, he's either God, or he's a lunatic that can be compared to someone who believes they're a poached egg. I think that's the exact quote. Essentially what C.S. Lewis is saying is you either have, you have to decide what to do with Jesus. Either you're going to worship him as God, or you're going to say he's a madman. There's no middle ground. You can't be like, oh, he was a nice guy who said some good things. No. Either he was God, or he was crazy. So what are you going to do with Jesus? It's the question he's asking Peter. And it's the same question he's asking us today. And then he continues, verse 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now here's the thing. Here, here's the deal. When we talk about the devil, when we talk about Satan, when we talk about Hades or, or, or hell, I need you to hear me. Satan, the devil, is is real. He's a real entity that exists. Hell is a real place. People can end up there. The Bible is really clear on that. And the truth is, is that today in the world, one of the best tricks, one of the greatest tools that Satan has is the number of people who don't believe in him. Now, hear, hear me, hear this. Nothing pleases the devil more than a world who doesn't believe he exists. Because he isn't taken seriously. He's free to do whatever he wants. It would be like, it would be like being sick. It'd be like having some sort of sickness, but not knowing what it was. If you don't know what the sickness is, you can't find the right treatment to fight it. You can't get the right medicine to fight it. Satan's goal is to make your life a mess and to keep his own name out of it. You know what's amazing? Is that even though the Bible talks about these things, 
despite all the evidence in the world around us that, that Satan is real, that evil exists, despite everything we see when we scroll our phone or turn on the TV, despite all the evidence, there are still people who don't believe that evil exists, that Satan exists. There are still people who don't believe it. It's the craziest thing. They don't believe, they don't realize that Satan and hell are very real, that there's a spiritual realm all around us. They might say, yeah, there are things in the world that are bad, but it's, it's this really watered-down version, and it's not how Scripture talks about it at all. And I would say that I used to be one of those people. I didn't, I didn't give much thought to Satan or the devil. In my mind, that was some dude in red that had a pitchfork and some horns. and like I, I, I didn't give any thought to that. And then about 20 years ago, that all changed. It was 20 years ago when I was a student here at Central. And I don't know if you remember this, but last year, like before everything hit the COVID fan, I, th I think it was the fall of 2019-2020 school year. I think. I, I don't know because, again, COVID. But I, rem I spoke, I don't know if you remember this, if you were here, if you were a student, I spoke in chapel in this room and my hook my thing that I was like, I want them to listen to me because this is real stuff. My hook was that I started at the back of the room and the beginning of my message to you was, has anyone ever seen an exorcism? Does anybody remember that moment? Thank you, the sound guy remembers that moment. Yeah. I told this story a couple years ago about my time here at Central and about a, like a deliverance experience that I was part of during my sophomore year of college. And I remember telling you that if I hadn't been in the room, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have been the kid that would have been like, I call bull crap on that whole thing. Like there's no way, if I hadn't been there, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, if I hadn't watched the kid flailing on the ground, speaking in a voice that wasn't his own, I wouldn't have believed it. But I was there. I saw it. I was in the room. And that, that, that thing on our campus, that occurrence for us, it, it opened, it changed things. And it brought with it all of these, all of these new kinds of issues. Because all of a sudden, after that, after you experienced that, students were like, they were like seeing demons everywhere. Like they were like, there are demons in my breakfast food. And I'm like, guys, seriously, like central food's not that bad. But I've seen this happen before. I've seen this happen before. I've experienced it where you start to say, okay, maybe, maybe Satan, evil, spiritual warfare, maybe it's all real. You start to acknowledge it. And then what happens is you like, Everything is, oh, well, Satan did this, and Satan did that, and Satan made me do this. And, and here's the problem with this, Central. Satan loses. Satan has lost already. We have victory in Jesus. Look back at the verses I just read again. Verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Jesus is talking to Peter. 
And he says, look, I'm going to build my church. Peter, I'm going to build my church, and my church is going to be this amazing group of people whose job it's going to be to show the world what I'm like. Now, side note, sidebar. If you are a part of a church, a group of people, and they don't act and look like Jesus, that is not Jesus' church. Hear me. Jesus says, I'm going to establish my church, and it's going to be this group of people who are going to show the world what I'm like. And if they don't look like Jesus, they're not his church. I'll let you wrestle with that, because eventually you're going to walk into a church, and you're going to be like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about when I said, if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not his church. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And Peter, let me tell you something. This movement, this group of people, they're going to proclaim this new way of living. And Peter, the gates of hell will not overcome my church. Now, that's some really powerful language. But I'll be honest and I'll I'll say that I've heard it spoken of. I've heard it read or preached or taught in this way that worries me. I've heard this, this passage taught so it sounds like something like, oh, we have such peace. We have such hope. We have such assurance. Because as long as you're in the church, Satan and those big bad gates can't get you. I've heard it taught that what Jesus is saying is stay in the church where you're safe. Satan can't get you in the church. He can't. Those big bad gates won't be able to touch you if you're in the church. Now here's the problem with this. Think of everything you know about war and armies and battle. And tell me the last time that you saw an attacking army pick up their city gates and attack another army with their gates. It's ridiculous. That never happens. Unless it's like a Monty Python movie. And then there'd be like flying cows as well. You see gates... Gates are not weapons. They're like defensive structures. Gates aren't there to attack anybody. They're to keep people out. Now take a look at this. Jesus says the gates of hell won't overcome it. Now the word overcome in this passage is the word it can be translated withstand. So Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And you know what? My church is going to be storming the gates of hell and the gates of hell won't be able to stand up against you. He's not saying that the devil is the aggressor and that we're going to be safe from him. He's saying that we're the aggressors and the devil's not going to be safe from us. We're not the ones running in fear from the devil. He's tied up. We're running in Jesus' name and he's running from us. We have hope because the devil loses. The devil is on the run. We have hope because we know how the story ends. How many of you, I get really excited about this, how many of you have heard of a man by the name of Jack Bauer? Anybody heard of Jack Bauer? There's so few hands in this room. Um, It's sad. If you don't know Jack Bauer, um, 
you really, you probably don't know him uh, because most of his actions are classified. Uh, Jack works for our counter-terrorist unit, CTU, as some of us call it. And honestly, folks, you really should know Jack because the truth is, is that we're probably here this morning because of Jack and the things that he's done to keep our lives safe. Uh, he, he's really the reason that our, that our nation as a whole is safe right now. And if you really don't know who Jack Bauer is, he's the main character on a television show called 24. Has anybody seen 24 and you just didn't know the dude's name? Was, oh my, okay, new homework. Like, what have you been binging during quarantine? If you haven't been watching, oh my goodness. You're welcome. You're welcome for this assignment. But do, oh, go to class, because now you can all go to class. Please go to class, or I'm going to be getting emails about what I told you to do in chapel. If you haven't ever watched 24, then you don't understand. You don't understand how incredibly amazing. How many of you watch Lost? Lost might be kind of like, man. How many of you watch The Office? Oh, okay, I was just checking. Sweet Lord. Um, the office doesn't work in this illustration, though, so I have an issue. We're going to go back to 24. Go back to 24. 24 was on, and it was like pre-streaming, pre-binging. Like you had to go to a store called Blockbuster, and you had to rent, which means you borrowed and gave them money for a while, and then you had to bring it back physically to the location. You had to rent DVDs of the TV show. And the problem was is that each disc only had four episodes. So if you accidentally binged your disc and you didn't get two discs, you, you were in a bit of an issue. This is how the world used to work back when you were babies. But 24 was like the original binge watch. This was before streaming. This is before things like Netflix adultery. You guys know what Netflix adultery is? That's when you're watching a show with someone else and you watch ahead of them. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? And then you try to go back and pretend that you didn't watch ahead of them. But they know you have because, first of all, it showed the red lines. Oh, somebody watched this. We're uh, Netflix adultery. I have, I have done that before. So my, so my wife and I, we, before we had children, 24 was like our thing. And we would sit there, and it was almost like we were addicted to a drug. And we were to watch this amazing show, episode after episode. And we would say, okay, seriously, seriously, one more, and then we're going to bed. Have you ever done that? One more, and then I'm going to bed. But then you get to the end of the episode, and you're like, I'm not going to be able to sleep now. i got to find out what happens next. And so then you're like, okay, seriously, this is the last one. And then we go to bed, and I remember... I remember one time we were in the middle of this binge. I think it was season four. And my wife Suzanne and I are watching this. And in the episode, there are, this, there are these terrorists. Because in 24, there are always these terrorists. And they've kidnapped the Secretary of Defense and his daughter. And, and Jack just happens to be dating his daughter. And so they've kidnapped these two. And they're going to execute them on live TV. I'm telling you, the show is insane. The problem is, is that no one knows where they're being kept. And so we're watching this, and somehow Jack finds them. And he calls into CTU, and he's like, I've located the terrorists, I need backup. And they're like, we'll be there in 15 minutes. And he's like, I don't have 15 minutes. You need to understand that the dude that plays Jack Bauer, he can't act. Like acting is he just yells louder. Like no matter just whatever's happening, he just yells louder and louder. 
and louder. He's like, we don't have 15 minutes. I'm going in. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, no, don't do it, Jack. I'm like, my heart is beating and my palms are sweaty and I'm biting a pillow. And then this thought occurs to me. Wait a minute. I have no life. No, that wasn't the thought. No, <laughs> wait a minute. This is season four. Everyone else is watching season five on TV right now, which means he probably doesn't die in this moment. This means it's probably going to be, and that completely changed the way I watched the rest of that episode. I was like, yeah, all right, whatever, Jack, blah, blah, blah. Singly defeat 200 bad guys with one bullet. That's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it changed the way I watched the show. And I think this morning, when we talk about how the devil is on the run, when we say that Satan loses, sometimes I think what happens is we get distracted by our worries. We get distracted by our our current problems or our current issues. We don't see how things will ever get better. We feel discouraged. We are sick of wearing masks. We are sick of Walmart not having any lanes open. I don't that had nothing to do. That was just a personal moment where I'm sick of Walmart not having any lanes open. But we're we're discouraged and we wonder if things will ever get better. And we can feel frustrated and lonely, and we start to feel jaded and cynical. And we look around us and we see how much hate is in the world right now. And these things can cause to make us forget. We forget that this is not the end of our story. That we know there's going to be a season 5, and a season 6, and a season 7, and a season 1 million. We have hope because we know that Satan Loses the enemy, the devil. It's it's he's like a cat without claws. Except the cat doesn't realize it doesn't have claws. You ever seen that? It's really funny. Satan's like a cat without claws. He's like a bee with no stinger. The devil is like a team that's down by twenty points with one second on the clock. The game's over. The other coach has already had a Gatorade bath, but the devil's still playing the game. We get so distracted that we forget. We forget that our hope is in Jesus. That we don't need to worry or fear. That we have been called to storm the gates of hell. That the devil is on the run from us. Watch this video.
we have hope this morning is the devil loses. It is so easy for us to get distracted by all the stuff, by all the worries and all the wondering and the what if and the realities of what's happening right now that we forget. We forget that at the end of the day we have hope because the devil loses. So God, I pray for us as a community, as a campus. I pray that we would, I pray that we would know that. I pray that we would live in such a way that we know that we have victory in you. And God, if there's anybody here that's confused about what that means, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that they would seek answers for those things. God, I pray that you would remind us daily of the hope that we have in Jesus. We ask this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Grace and peace, Central. Have a great rest of your day. I will see you back in here Wednesday again for chapel.